from the NFL. If you're Dak Prescott, individual numbers aren't enough anymore. You want to get paid? Win something. To the NBA. Who gives a about the Pelicans if Zion don't play? Across the landscape of college football. There's no such thing as a good loss in the ACC. So if you're Clemson, you better win every game. And so much more. Let's talk some sports, baby. The stories you want. Baseball is back. Basketball is almost back. And football is on the way. You love to see it. The opinions you need. Sports is what this country needs. And I truly, truly believe that. Holla at your boy. It's Jay Wise. It's the drink. It's the beard. And it's the wisdom. I hope you brought pen and paper because class is in session. And Nathan Drinkard. Remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. With Jay Wise, I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thank you for spending some of your time with us tonight. And as a reminder to all our listeners, besides being on all your favorite podcast platforms, A Drink of Wisdom is also on YouTube with each show segment available. Head on over. You can like what you hear. We would appreciate your subscription. What's going on, Jay? Just you and me again. Uh, Drink is in the middle of a move, and he's had some snags, so he's out again tonight. But he is rejoining us shortly. I promised you last week. He'll be back soon, I promise. Yes, yes, yes. Drink, we anticipate. Um, the one and only Drink will be back with us Friday. Um, and I really hope I'm in a better mood then than I am now uh, based on the first story that we're going to get into. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, is, it is not um, – it's just not – it's not good. But we'll get into it. And in the, but in the meantime, you know, it's the beard, it's the wisdom. Let's go. Let's get right into it, man. In episode 85, the Bucks get beat again. Kuzma beats the buzzer. And we have a unique angle on the NBA awards. But, of course, we begin tonight in the world of college football with some pretty big news. The Big Ten and Pac-12 conferences have postponed fall sport activities, including football, and are looking towards the spring for a new target. These decisions were made final today by the conferences after a weekend of turmoil and rumors about the possibility thereof. These conferences joined some group of five conferences and high-profile players in opting out to play amid the pandemic. Meanwhile, the SEC and ACC have stood firm in their plans to play, while some teams from the canceled conferences have also been vocal about playing, such as Ohio State and Nebraska. For now, it appears that we have a very strange college football season, if any, on our hands. So, Jay, did the Big Ten and Pac-12 make the right call here? Should we have a season? We should, we should absolutely have a season. I, I'm looking at – this is the developments that we've seen today because it was, it was today that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 came out and said that they're postponing. They're going to look towards the spring. Think about when – we go back to Rudy Gobert testing positive. Think about the NCAA, the uh, conference men's basketball tournaments that got shut down shortly thereafter. Everything was like a domino effect. One, one conference made a call, hey, we're shutting it down. And then very shortly after that, they all dropped like dominoes mm-hmm. all together. A lot of that, and you brought up a good point earlier, a lot of that had to do with some of the players weren't comfortable, some of the programs, some of the high-profile coaches. You talk about Duke, you talk about Kansas. They were among the blue blood programs that said, yeah, we don't, we're not feeling comfortable right now. And now some of that has gone in a little bit of reverse, as it seems. And not only that, we just got news very shortly ago, the ACC and SEC, their plans are unchanged. 
they they expect to play. It, a lot that of was questions. Re, real quick, that was reiterated after the Pac-12 and Big Ten news. So that wasn't just yes. we haven't gotten word yet. They actually have adamantly like reaffirmed yes. their commitment to play. Yes, they 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 expect they are they are moving forward with their plans to play. Matter of fact, you had an ACC medical expert uh, from Duke. I believe his name's Cameron Wolf, who is a big is a big reason why the ACC is moving forward. Uh, Dr. Cameron Wolf, yeah, the Duke infectious disease specialist, um, says that doctors have learned enough over the past six months to manage the risk, and he believes that the season can take place safely. Um, now, what he did say. And, you know, communicating with the ACC uh, commissioner, John Swaffer, he said, look, there is risk here. We cannot cut the risk all the way down to zero. But we believe the risk there, it's an acceptable level of risk. And this can be done safely. And it absolutely can can be done safely. We, we take a look and we have the great thing about football, professional football and in the collegiate ranks. They are the last, really the last, um, cog to fall into place among the major sports think about the the nba was hit immediately they're, they're back the nba's back in a bubble they're, it's going well we have we haven't seen any positive tests baseball they didn't go with a the bubble they've had some snags they've had a couple outbreaks but what we've seen the marlins and the cardinals as far as i can tell and Derek jeter the marlins you know president whatever whatever role he holds pretty pretty uh, high profile role he came out and said hey our guys they weren't taking it seriously they were being lackadaisical they weren't mitigating properly and the cardinals they were i believe there was some sort of big party or something that they engaged in so we can see reasoning behind these outbreaks if you don't mitigate the risk increases you got to mitigate um but even, but even with that, think about this. All the other 28 teams really haven't had much of an issue. Now, there have been positive tests here and there, but there's been no outbreaks. So it can be done. Think about that. 28 out of 30 teams, 93% have done, have done pretty well so far. Now, we still have a, we still have a, a long way to go. Um, but it, to me, it can be done. If the, and if those guys can do it, and you think about college football, how much time they have had, and I talked about the NFL last week, these leagues have had time to gather information, make good decisions, put good mechanisms in place, get your testing protocols together. I don't see any reason why, you, why it can't be done. Um, I said this earlier, I think there's some political undertones here. Um, I would, at the administration level, I would say, I don't know this, but that's what I feel and I, that's what I believe. And, but coaches and players, I think for the most part, and not everyone, because we've seen you know, social justice initiatives. We know that has dominated headlines um, after the uh, after the coronavirus. That's been the next big thing that's going on. And there we've got some things, particularly in the Pac-12. There was a big petition thing put together where you know we got these demands or we ain't playing all these all these different type of stuff. But we we should have a season. We should have a season. And really, the purest in me really thinks. If the Big Ten and the Pac-12 said, "Hey, we want to wait to the we want to wait until the spring to play," the pure the football purist in me says, "Well, the rest of the conference, the rest of the Power Five, because that's really all that that's what really matters here. The rest of the Power Five should back over and say, 
we'll follow suit, we will play in the spring. Because that is really the only way you have a legit, a really legitimate season that, that won't have an asterisk and you'll have a true national champion. Because you look at what we're about to embark upon right now, we talked about them, Ohio State, perennial national championship contender. And you think about other fringe teams in the Big Ten that we see in the top 25 consistently. You think about Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, and then the Pac-12, I'll be honest with you, I could care less about the Pac-12 because we know they're not serious. Um, but, I mean, we, we, can't, we can't completely dismiss a team like Oregon. Um, they appear to be back on the come up. Um, so these are big losses as far as um, what we're looking for in terms of a playoff. You know, we talk about those college football playoff rankings. Think about how weird it's going to be to have a playoff ranking show and we're not going to be discussing where Ohio State falls, you know, in the mix of things. That, that just seems ridiculous. And, and then that, that's a whole nother issue. Where does the college football, do we still have a playoff with these three, with just three uh, power five conferences? Is, is that something the playoff will like entertain? A lot of unanswered questions. Um, and then another thing, and I think you're going to touch on this and I hope you do. Um, there are teams within the big 10, particularly that want to play. You talk about Nebraska, they want to play. Uh, I believe Nebraska and Iowa were the only two teams in the Big Ten to vote and say, no, we want to play. We do not want to sit out. But Ohio State, I think they want to uh, get their hands on this action as well. And why wouldn't they? I mean, this is this is a big deal. And um, I know it's this is just it's just a game. It really is. But this is this is important to a lot of people. And we talked we talked about this all the way up um, the entire period of the coronavirus pandemic sports unite sports is something that unites us it's something that we lean on in tough times think about go back all the way to september 11th 19 years ago we, there was there was a brief pause in the action but it, it didn't take very long at all to where the nfl was right back at it i mean it just comes down to there's always going to be some level of risk in everything including this. And I guess the, I guess the thing some people are waiting on is I guess the decision has been made for some folks that we have to have a vaccine before we'll get back to business. And I don't know, I guess, I guess they're just hoping first of the year we'll have one and then maybe it'll be an acceptable point where we can play, but there's no guarantees that that'll happen. So this is, this is, I'm disappointed. And I think it's pretty obvious that I'm disappointed. I think they, I think these folks should, um, they they should have they should have made a better effort, um, not to say that no effort was made, but we should be able to ha we should be able to have a season. And I think they're doing, I think these school these conferences have done a disservice to their student athletes. I really do. Oh, I'm I, this is really unfortunate. I mean, absolutely. College college football is my favorite sport. And it's my favorite time of the year. You know, like when when college football is coming on, like the the year is, is changing. You're getting to the end of the year. You know. Yeah, live in Florida hurricane season's starting to wrap up you know I know those slightly more bearable temperatures are on their way you know you wake up with college game day got this EBS uh ABC or C SEC on CBS music yeah you know I'm a, I'm a Florida State fan and I love that man so that yep. that was that's my favorite time of the year you know and this what what appears to be the first of a chain reaction of cancellations now 
that that news from the SEC and the ACC was a little surprising to hear how they reaffirmed what they said. So maybe we have something different on our hands. You know, I think what's really interesting is you, you talked about the, the tournament going back to where we had the, the NCAA tournament and how some conferences quickly shut things down and packed up their tents and some made extra efforts to play. But what it really came down to was the players and the coaches said no while the conferences were trying to say yes. Remember the ACC was pretty yep. infamous. They were like, they were like about ready to put people at gunpoint to get out there and play. And then when Duke packed it up and the rest of those other teams started doing it, they said, okay, well, no one's going to show up. I guess we're going to, we're going to cancel this. And it was at the big East, like had a game and they canceled it at halftime. I mean, it was yeah, the big, yeah. The big East was the last one to fold up and mm-hmm. rightfully so. Cause they ain't playing no football. So, <laughs> so right. We're basketball. So a big deal to the conference and they, they tried everything they could, but see this time your power structures flipped a little bit. You have conferences saying no, like the big 10 and the PAC 12 namely, but then teams within the conference, like especially Nebraska has been really they're really mad about this, but also some of your blue bloods like Ohio state, like Michigan, I know John Harbaugh said a lot about playing and even conferences that don't have it canceled yet. Like Alabama and Nick Saban's had comments about it. So the, the dynamic has shifted a little bit away from the conferences and more to the teams, coaches and players. Uh, Trevor Lawrence this week started the whole, uh, we want to play initiative where they're, it's, kind of like players are trying to unionize a little bit, but it was marked by Justin Fields and some other really big name, you know, top picks that are going to come up in next year's draft and some of the biggest voices of the sport right now. So it it, it creates this interesting dynamic because can Ohio state really say, no, we're going to play and go to another conference. Are they even allowed to do that? Like, can they make up their own schedules? Can we have some weird, like power three for the year where we just break you up into geographical divisions and you just play whoever's close to you. Like, like part of me thinks that's so cool. What if Florida yeah. state and Florida and LSU were all in the same division and we all played each other. And, and, and then we played the champion from the, the Midwest and you know, like that's, so that sounds so cool. But then at the same time you have to think, yeah, but we're missing two conferences. How good is this going to be? I, mean, I don't know. Like I said, you take Oregon and Michigan and, uh, Ohio State and put them in. We're not really missing too many other teams that are yeah. going to be contenders, but hey. Um, but, you know, we, we look at – when you zoom out a little bit, you look at the whole thing. One of the big problems is there's really no good answer to this, right? There's no true answer. You can't reaffirm 100% that it's so dangerous no one can play, nor can you reaffirm that it's so safe that there's no risk of catching it. Like you said, the risk cannot be zero. But if you think about it, that's true for life in general and in a sport right. like football where there's a lot of right. injuries and a lot of potential Absolutely. for serious injuries. Absolutely. Every year, players have careers ended in football. It, it happens. It is an inherently dangerous sport. Now, it's not to say that coronavirus doesn't present its own risk and its own issues, but you're already playing a dangerous sport. We're not playing tiddlywinks out here. So I don't understand. Like, <laughs> is Exactly, because when you talk about it from a societal standpoint – are we just going to be SpongeBob in the, in the episode where he sits in his house with a penny and the napkin and he doesn't leave his house for any reason? Like, you know, how, how far do you take it? Because we're seeing some aspects of society, not just in sports, where we're seeing increase in suicides and people avoiding hospitals for treatment. And, and, and the virus is having these second and third order effects that are starting to potentially outweigh the dangers of the virus itself. As we see more people recovering, less people having symptoms, less people having serious complications from it. You know, we have to ask, is the same thing true for football? Is, is canceling the, the season really the best call for the athletes? Because we know a lot of these guys, uh, and this was highlighted by guys like Trevor Lawrence and Nick Saber, they both mentioned the fact that, hey, some of these players may go home and not have great situations. You know, one, they weren't planning on being home in the fall. 
they're planning on being on campus. So they don't have any, they may not have arrangements made for housing and employment and money and everything else. And I mean, for some guys, it could be so bad. It's not having food on the table. You know, you, you may be going to high transmission areas where like Dick Saban said, Hey, you got a one or 2% chance of catching it here. You may have five or eight or 10% going home, especially living in a big city, you live in a hot spot. So we can at least control some aspects here. So why wouldn't we want to try to do that for these athletes and keep them a little bit better uh, secure than they would be at home, just running all around on their own. Um, but you know, on the flip side of the coin, we also have to remember that COVID doesn't just, isn't always just, a, Oh, I got a cough and now I feel better. There, there have been examples of players with long-term effects. Uh, Houston's Cindric uh, Williams, uh, he's battling heart problems right now uh, in relation to COVID and the complications weeks thereafter. So, you know, when, when you're a conference, you're making all these decisions, you have to weigh everything together. But I, I think right now these conferences are really wanting to err on the side of caution, but I wonder if maybe it's too much uh, in the caution department. So we're going to see, this is going to be really, really interesting to see if the ACC and the SEC are going to dig in and they're going to really fight this battle. And if they do, what kind of season could we have? I mean, it's going to be – I think by Friday we'll know more. I think for sure if they've dug in by the end of the week, maybe we're having a season. We'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting – also be interesting to see where the Big 12 falls in this. I know you got some some inclinations that they may um, align themselves with the ACC. That's what I feel the like. the SEC yeah. and play. Um, and not to say I – th- I think it is a big deal if we get three playing and two not playing as opposed to the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this is strange, man. This is strange, and it's it, it it's not going to be the same without some of those big high profile programs that the Big Ten in particular um, puts out there. Because the Big Ten is the second best conference mm-hmm. in college football, so not having those programs available, and it's right that like then that's why I said a lot of unanswered questions here. Because yeah, can the can the how much uh, how much control does the Big Ten have over the individual institutions? Can some of these teams that want to play just pick up and roll out and, you know, the big tw- the other conferences, like, hey, yeah, we'll take you in, you know, we'll take this school in to make it somewhat equitable. There's a lot of things we don't know, and I, I would imagine we'll be revisiting this very soon. Oh, definitely. And the final thing I also added is the ramifications of scholarships, how this affects eligibility, money, not only with the programs, but a lot of these cities around college campuses take, again, Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, for example, they make most of their money off Nebraska home games. So there's going to be a lot of pushback, not just from the teams, but from a lot of sources outside of college football that depend on this for their livelihood. It's got to get really interesting. So we'll see. We now turn to some NBA action from last night. The Raptors defeated the Bucks 114-106, giving Toronto their fifth win in six bubble games, and the Bucks dropped to two and four. Giannis did not play for the Bucks, but the Raptors chose to rest Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, and Serge Ibaka. Chris Boucher and Matt Thomas combined for 47 points for Toronto, while Kyle Korver scored a team-high 19 for the Bucks. All right, Cody, in terms of the Eastern Conference playoffs, how big a threat are the Raptors to the top seed Bucks? Well, as far as this game goes, you know, I definitely – you're not going to look at this game with who, who you just mentioned being out and go, oh, well, clearly the Raptors are, you know, going to beat the Bucks. They won this game. You know, this obviously no Giannis for Milwaukee, and then the Raptors probably smartly choosing to get a day of rest for some of these other guys. Uh, you could only surmise so much from the game itself. But I think one key you could look at from this game is basically how the non-Giannis minutes are going to go between these teams. 
when you're talking about how big of a threat the Raptors could be to the Bucks, because when we saw their series last year, where you know they came, the Raptors came back and ultimately won that series. They a lot of that game was, or a lot of that series was decided when Milwaukee had to pull Giannis off the floor, and that is the benches and how the benches are going to match up, I think is one of the keys here. So you had Chris Boucher and Matt Thomas. They both post their career highs in the game, like you said. And that should signal to Nick Nurse that his available weapons to combat this Bucks juggernaut, they might be even deeper than he thought. We were, we already knew this Raptor team is pretty loaded and they're pretty deep still. Uh, we talked about him last week. We talked about how some of these other guys have really come around. And definitely this is one of, I would argue one of the more deeper rosters in the league, but they, they, can roll out all these different lineups to, to get at Milwaukee. And some of these guys, even like uh, Hollis Jefferson, you know, he teeters more on how much offense he can give you, but the stable that they can go into for defensive help and lineup changes is something that most teams just don't have access to. So their management of those lineups when Giannis isn't on the floor is going to be a pretty much the potential like, decision or deciding factor in the series. I think uh, again, Raptors, what you could go 10, 11 deep, probably in that roster of like pretty solid dudes you could roll out, you know, where most, I would say like, you know, most teams you get about seven or eight, you start seeing those spot, those soft spots or those like, uh, like, like spots, whereas, you know, Raptors, you can go deeper, but I, I would say as far as another way you could evaluate the threat that the Raptors present to the Bucks is, is really who's going to guard Giannis. Right. So last year, Kawhi took up that duty while also shouldering a massive workload on offense. Remember the, the Bucks were up early in that series. Giannis is averaging like 27 points per game. And the question really was, well, should Kawhi guard Giannis? And at first you think, well, well, of course he should. He's got giant hands and he's seven foot. He can do all, he can, he can smother Giannis. But you have to remember he was being asked to do a lot on offense as well. And there was a serious legitimate question of should Kawhi shoulder both of these burdens i mean one person only has so much energy so it turned out it was the right answer and that cheat code worked his um his points per game dropped from 27 to 20 and he was far less efficient and it brought him back but you don't have that cheat code this year but i don't know if they're gonna need it um the raptors have proven they're one of the best defensive teams right in the league especially in the bubble as of late and OG Anobi has been a big uh, reason for that. He's kind of become their sort of lockdown guy. And again, their, their, their defense goes beyond just one dude. I mean, they're not a team. That, oh, that's our lockdown guy. Go get him. Go get him, Tiger. You know, but the metrics tell us that Anobi has a nose for the ball. He's, he generates a lot of turnovers to the Raptors. And they're those really good sort of offensive turnovers, those breakaway fast break uh, points. So the Raptors are profiting a lot of points off of his prowess on the ball. And they are... He, he's just got a really good head for where the ball is and he kind of knows where the offense is going. And this also frees up a lot of guys like Ibaka and Siakam to guard a lesser option, you know, so they can focus more on their offensive side of the game and also their athleticism on the switches and traps when they do need him. Because we know that guarding Giannis isn't a one man job, no matter how good you are. I mean, you're going to need help, but if you have a guy like Anobi, you can put on Giannis, attack the ball, uh, cause him to turn, maybe turn the ball over some, and you can get him a little flustered. Then when you have those switches and traps that the Raptors have and how good they are at doing them, you could, I, I could really see the Raptors slowing Giannis down in a series enough to where, again, you're not going to stop the man either. It's kind of the old LeBron theory. Like you're not or Michael Jordan theory. You're not stopping him, but if you can just pump the brakes a little bit, maybe you have a chance. And I think when you look at those two main factors, that's where I look at where the Raptors could really make their money, which is, again, on the bench, on the bench versus the Milwaukee bench, and on the defense of Giannis with how deep their rotation is. So uh, 
the Bucks are going to need good games in Middleton during the series and life one of the few other guys. It, it feels like these teams are going to meet at some point. We're, we're going to get a series. We know that Orlando and Brooklyn aren't going to do anything. So this is likely going to be a series we see in, this, in the second round or possibly the finals. And if they can use that kind of heady team defense, I think Toronto does present a pretty credible threat to the Bucks overall. The Raptors, the Raptors are a threat. Raptors are a threat to the Bucks. Um, and oh, by the way, the Bucks are clinched. They, they're in that second spot in the East. The Bucks are in the first spot. So it'll be if if they meet, it'll be in the conference finals. Mm-hmm. I would say though, up front, I am not backing out the position. I like Boston better than Toronto. So I'm still going Boston to meet Milwaukee in the conference finals. But we got to pay attention to Toronto because of their eliteness on the defensive end. And with how way they, with how, with the improvements made by Pascal Siakam, uh, Fred Van Fleet as well, he has taken another step in his development. Uh, OJ Ananobi back um, in the fray. And Milwaukee, for whatever reason, Milwaukee is not put together right now. I think, and again, I think a lot of what we're witnessing in this bubble is not everything that we're seeing is exactly what it seems. The Lakers, the Bucks, and even the Clippers have all been struggling one way or the other for whatever reason. And meanwhile, we got teams like Phoenix that just can't lose. I mean, you can't tell me that you can't tell me that you can't tell me that all these things are real. When we get into the playoffs and guys stop resting people and we stop load managing, then we're actually going to know what we have. But there is, there is reason for concern on Milwaukee's side because they've, they've been horrific in a couple of areas. Number one, they stop guarding. They stop guarding people. Um, they're looking like the Pelicans right now with the way they're defending. But one thing about Milwaukee, the way to beat them is similar to how you beat Virginia in the college ranks. Because Virginia, just like Milwaukee, they won't allow anything in the paint traditionally. So how do you beat them? Well, you have to make threes. And that's the one, and that's the one consistent thing you've been able to get against Milwaukee. But it, but in this bubble, I mean, they're just letting get pe- people just get to the rim like it like it's okay and like it's acceptable, which I'm sure is driving Mike Budenholzer crazy. Because defense, defense should be the constant thing, and that's why I, that's why I'm not surprised of how well Toronto has played because we know they lean on their defense. Offense comes and goes. Defense should be a constant, and it has been for Toronto. But my problem with Toronto beating. Milwaukee in a seven-game series, and you brought him up. It's the one name. It's the name that we know is Kawhi Leonard. And why does this matter? Well, pay attention. Well, think about this. Last year, Kawhi load managed his way through the season for Toronto. He missed 22 games. The Raptors were 17 and five in those games, so they can win without him. And they've they've had a very they've had a great season this year. A lot of that is one of the reasons you're seeing Nick Nurse very high in the ranks. Um, for coach of the year. He's done an exceptional job. But the problem is when we get into the playoffs, think of us because think about last year, the Raptors, the Raptors don't get out of the semifinals without Kawhi Leonard. We remember that series against Philadelphia. They don't make it without him. And to my eyes, they're going to have some difficulties when the second round starts after they, you know, get over that bye week against, um, no, Brooklyn. Or Brooklyn, Brooklyn be Brooklyn. is it? I think Brooklyn's probably play. Yeah, yeah, Brooklyn at this point. So, yeah, they'll 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 cruise on past them, but they're going to have trouble against Boston. And if they get to Milwaukee, they're going to still struggle. 
because it's all about at the end of the game, who do you trust to close? Who, who's the, you tell me who the closer is. Is it Siakam? It could be, but are you, are you ready to go there with him? I don't, I don't, I'm not ready to go there with him. Don't give me Kyle Lowry. I mean, I mean, have we not forgot the myriad, the myriad, have we not forgot the days of Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan where they were just no shows in the playoffs, particularly against the likes of uh, the Cavaliers when LeBron James was running the East. You, You couldn't find them. I mean, you could find them, but you had to. You need a. You need a. Um, you need a microscope for some of those shooting percentages. They were horrific. Fred Van Fleet. You're gonna tell me he's gonna beat you? I mean, it's true. So it's gonna come down. If you play against Milwaukee, it's gonna come down to who can close. Who, who can close games? Because I don't think. I think it's very difficult to blow Toronto out because they guard so well. And like you talk about guarding Giannis, yeah, no one, they're not putting anybody on Giannis. They'll put somebody on him, but it's going to be all five guys paying attention to him. And that's the reason, and that's the reason Milwaukee lost last year. Yeah, Giannis struggled, but when you have the whole team attacking him, you're going to have some difficulty. Right. And then how about some other guys? Can we get some guys to hit shots? They stopped hitting shots. Milwaukee's three-point shooting, I mean, they were among the uh, best teams in the league at shooting threes. They still have a, so many dudes that hit threes. I mean, you can go down the list. Uh, Middleton. Uh, Brooke Lopez, Pat Connaughton, Kyle Corver, George Hill. I mean, list goes on. Ilya Sova, you know, so many dudes. Yeah. Except Bledsoe. I don't want to see Bledsoe shooting threes. No, no. I'm not, I'm not getting on that. And that's when you talk about the non-Giannis minutes. That's when Bledsoe can actually be useful. He can actually attack the paint and not have to worry about Giannis uh, needing some space. That's where he has to be effective. He's got he's to step, step up and figure some things out. But this is why... Last night really demonstrates, and this is not an award statement, it demonstrates why Giannis is the MVP. Giannis doesn't play, so you're thinking, oh, well, Toronto, you know, do the thing. But then you look at no Bar Soap, no Van Fleet, and no Ibaka, and I'm sorry, Bar Soap Kyle Lowry, for the people who haven't heard that reference before. But none of those guys, so you would think, like, okay, Toronto's missing three key dudes. Milwaukee's missing the MVP, but we should I mean, something, Milwaukee should be able to compete in this game and the next thing you know, we got Chris Boucher and Matt Thomas just doing whatever they feel like doing. And meanwhile, some of these other guys, I mean, for Milwaukee, think about it. You, talk, you complimented um, Toronto's depth. Toronto, I mean, Boucher and Thomas, they don't play a lot. They don't. I mean, typically Nick Nurse will play seven guys. And not to say that, you know, guys like Hollis Jefferson and Boucher and those guys can't play, but they typically don't. Um, Milwaukee, they play 10 deep normally. And they got the and there's quality depth all around. It's just incredible, but those guys are going to have to play because Toronto, Toronto and Milwaukee, if they meet, Toronto's going to do what they have to do to take to make things tough on Giannis. Middleton and Bledsoe have got to have got to particularly step up, and I anticipate they'll also need a big series from Brook Lopez. Um, so there is there's serious concern right now, and also Milwaukee. The other problem, in addition to their defense, they got to be stronger with the ball and value. The turnover, the turnover numbers they're putting up are just terrible. They're not getting up enough shots, and they're giving up, they're giving up some easy baskets in transition. So they got to fix those things, and they got to use that first-round series against the Magic to correct those things because once they get into the second round against Miami or Indiana, it's going to be game time, and they're going to bring, um, they're gonna have to bring more of their A game to get by those teams. And I think I think they're absolutely capable of it. And I still I, I still see them in the NBA Finals, but they got to be better than they are right now. But yes, Toronto's a credible threat. 
I just don't, it's just not going to happen for me. All right, man, let's go ahead and keep it in the NBA with more action from last night. The Lakers held on to beat the Nuggets 124-121. LeBron carried the banner for the Lakers at 29 points and 12 assists, but he got a big help from Anthony Davis and Kyle Kuzma. Kuzma poured in 25 points as well as the game-stealing three-pointer. The Nuggets did play most of their available squad, but did limit the starters to only about 20 to 25 minutes. The Lakers remain locked up for the first seed while Denver tries to catch the Clippers for second. So, Jay, looking at this game and the Lakers' 3-4 and four record in the bubble, should Lakers fans be concerned going into the playoffs? I would be more concerned about the Lakers than the Bucks at this point. I think there's real concern, although I'm not going to go as far as um, some folks in the media who seem to be thinking the Lakers are going to be in trouble immediately in the first round. I don't know what that are. I don't know what that's about. Um, I don't necessarily see that, but um, but this was this was a game last night that I mean, you look at it, it was a little strange. Denver, like you mentioned it, I don't, none of their starters played into the played the fourth quarter. Um, they all played about, you know, in the 25-minute range. Uh, but meanwhile, LeBron and AD were on the court for 38 minutes. So they wanted to win the game. Um, and probably because, I mean, the Lakers haven't played all that well. Um, so they're looking for some confidence. They're looking for some consistency. And we t- we've, we've been talking about uh, the backcourt upheaval that they've had with no Avery Bradley and the injury to Rajon Rondo. So you bring in Deion Waiters. You're trying to integrate Alex Caruso more. and J.R. Smith is on the roster. He's there. So you're trying, but you're trying to do some different things with your backcourt. And as you can see, um, LeBron, AD, and Kuzma combined for 81 points. That that sounds real familiar. Um, But not at one time. Not at one time. But so 81 points from those three guys who respectively, I think they all, I think all of them started. And I guess LeBron was playing in the backcourt, but pretty much that's 81 frontcourt points. Can we get a can we get some backcourt production, please? I mean, that's the to me, that's the concern. The backcourt of the Lakers. I mean, where is it? That's I mean, the, I got if yeah. you consider LeBron as being in the backcourt, then but that's still not enough. Danny Green, Caruso, Waiters, J.R. Smith, Quinn Cook, like who's it gonna be? Like who who can you rely upon in that Laker backcourt? Uh, the Lakers up front, they're as deep and as strong and as physical. And they can they should control the backboards every game, uh, but I mean they're another team similar to Milwaukee. They've had they've they've had some troubles on defense too. You look at last night. I mean, really Denver shoots fifty eight percent, and they make thirteen out of twenty three from three, and they just seemingly get whatever they want, even with bench guys. I mean PJ Dozier comes out there and goes for eighteen points on seven shot attempts. I mean it's a lot of a lot of strange strange things going on in this NBA bubble. Um, the Lakers, another team that I don't, whoever they meet in the first round, they should be able to get by fairly easy, easily, but this is the Lakers are the one team more than any, when you look at the top three teams, the Lakers, Bucks and Clippers, the Lakers more than any other team, including Milwaukee, LeBron and AD cannot afford to not play well. They have to have both of them seemingly every game dominate now the one good thing I will say in the Lakers favor is this is a good sign for Kuzma because if Kuzma becomes a the consistent third scoring threat that we all thought he should be in the preseason that's a big deal that's a big deal for the Lakers because they've been they have struggled to score in the bubble I believe they're last in a lot of offensive categories now a lot of that can be trying to figure things out in the backcourt 
and just not having really anything to play for because they've got, they've had the top seed seemingly locked up. Um, so it's another one of those things where there's concern, but I don't know how much you really want to read into it. Like, I don't think you should read everything into it. Like some folks are I'm not going to mention names, but AD and LeBron, they can't afford to not play well. And if they have, and if one of them has an off game, you got to think they're going to be in trouble every game where one of those guys doesn't perform. Yeah, the uh, the biggest thing that stood out to me last night from the from the game itself, and again, we're not going to pull too much out of the game itself. But um, first of all, like you said, the Nuggets put up a hundred and twenty one points without playing any starter more than twenty six minutes. That that's that's not good. Like one of the things the Lakers built themselves on in the regular season was their defense. And, you know, we knew the scoring would kind of come and go, like you said, like you said before, you know, you kind of bid your belt rack on that defense. And that's what the Lakers have done because they have so many talented guys that can play defense, you know, and that that's not good when, when the Nuggets are doing that and not even having, not even only their starters not playing, but we're still missing guys like Jamal Murray who can put in a lot of points. So uh, a little questionable. Uh, but oh, yeah, Kyle, Gar- well, Murray, yeah, Murray played last night. They're still missing oh, Gary did? Harris, though. Oh, okay, my bad. Um, yeah, my bad. Uh, so, yeah, by you're still not. They're still not at their full full capacity. Right. right. Um, but also looking at the uh, looking at the stats, Kyle Kuzma jumps off the page, you know. And again, it's nice to see LeBron and AD getting back to what they do, but obviously Kuzma's contribution and, and obviously hitting you know the big big shot towards the end there that that was big in terms of the outcome of the game. Uh, but but overall, again, the three and four bubble record is 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 a little concerning uh, because you can again you can dismiss some of this by saying, well, they are the one seed, they've had it locked up realistically before this all even started. Uh, but again, LeBron and AD played 38 minutes last night. You mentioned it. It was clear the Lakers were trying to win the game. I mean, if you were not trying to win the game, you wouldn't play your two stars that long. Um, and for what it's worth, listen, listen to this: the Nuggets played in the final 12 minutes of the game. They played the lineup of Ball Ball. P.J. Dozier, Keita Bates-Diop, Mason Plumlee, and Monte Morris. Uh, that lineup scored 33 points against most of the Lakers starters. And that's not good. <laughs> uh, that sort of defensive lapse, again, is not something this team is known for. And it seems like they're off when it comes to that, right? Because, the, the, again, the scoring has kind of been up and down for them in the bubble. But they're giving up a lot of points, it feels like. And they're not, you know, getting the, the, the absurd scoring always from AD and LeBron to kind of – kind of push off on it here's another stat for you uh the lakers lineup of ad lebron kcp danny green and, and javel mcgee is the worst plus minus matchup or plus minus lineup rather of any of the 1800 lineups used in the bubble at a minus 28 per 41 minutes but, so, so re- repeat that lineup again yeah, for me so, real quick, because i forgot i didn't even mention kcp when i was talking about the backcourt so yeah. i got stuck on that yeah, the, the lineup of, of Davis, uh, LeBron, KCP, Danny Green, and JaVale McGee. They are a minus is, 28 combined. I, that is that is shocking for the simple fact that how can Le, any lineup containing LeBron and AD be the worst at anything? I don't care if Jared Dudley's yeah. out there on the floor with them. You still shouldn't be that bad. You could pull out some Anyways. virtual fans. I mean, I don't, I don't know how they're managing that. I really do. But that was a stat that came across me, today. They should, yeah, they should be able to carry me, you, and drink out there. Right, exactly. And the, the thing is, you know, you look at this uh, also. If you zoom out a little bit, you also have all these rumblings from behind the scenes. You know, we've heard some things yeah. where LeBron said, that, "Oh, there's some stuff going on, and I can't talk about it." But in in a bubble where there's not a lot of distractions, that's a little concerning, and, and nothing's come up to the surface. We haven't 
heard anything tangible. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how much I don't know how much I would buy into that. Seems just it, like it could be a smoke screen. Ner- it could just be LeBron. Oh yeah, we're we're hurt, guys. Don't look over here. You know, yeah. it very well could be. But that that kind of stuff is just when you have the other issues they're having, the record and the the spotty performances. It can be an issue. And one thing that really kind of strikes me, you look at the Lakers really is both LeBron and AD have had some struggles since this came back. And we were thinking, oh, LeBron rest. He's going to come out of the, the cryogenic chamber like, you know, Goku just ready to just Talk, go scorched yeah. earth. Talked about it last week. He hasn't shot the ball well at all. No, he really hasn't. And uh, Anthony Davis, he's had some pretty mediocre to straight up bad games. I mean, I thought his worst one was against the Rockets when well, even without LeBron, that's a team he should just feast against. I mean, AD should have 50 or he plays the Rockets in their lineup. Uh, but he didn't really do all that much. And he was also pretty bad against OKC when he scored just nine points. And in that same game, LeBron, he shot poor, very poor in a 19-point effort with just four assists. So, like you said, those two guys, it hinges so much on how well they play, which it should. They're the two guys. They're That's how this should work. But if you don't get, like, the great performance, if you get even good or mediocre, it starts to already look questionable. And you're just – you're not getting it from these other guys. Where's Danny Green been? 6.1 points on 39% shooting in the bubble? I mean, Waiters, J.R. Smith, I mean, they've had some okay games. I mean, Deion Waiters has had a few games where he looked pretty decent, but some of it was just gobbling up buckets at the end of the game. J.R. Smith has been pretty bad. He hasn't really done much of anything so far. Oh, he didn't even play last night. Mm-hmm. Like, so that, that's not good when you're a guy that looks like you would be getting some minutes. So, you know, when you step back and look at it, again, the, the, the amount of re- reliable guys you had to go to besides, uh, you know, A.D., LeBron, and, and Kuzma, it's limited. You know, Alex Caruso, he can be an option here and there, but he's not really going to be starting quality all the time. Uh, waiters could go off any one game and help you out, but are you going to reliably get that production from him? And I think really what it comes down to is Kyle Kuzma has to be the third factor. He's got to really, if this team is going to just take control in the playoffs, they're going to just start just dumpstering people and doing what they were doing in the regular season. You're going to have to have this kind of performance almost every night from him because he's a two-way guy. He, he plays great defense and the scoring when it's there, it's really there. You, you get him involved, you get a few more three-point shots falling, you're fine. You're cooking. You can beat anybody. You can roll. But you know, it doesn't – this team, more than some of the other ones, seems to really kind of hinge on a few things. And if one or two of those things don't line up, the, the Lakers have shown that there's some cracks in the armors. So, I, I would – like you said, the, the pose the question between them and, and Milwaukee, I would be more concerned as a Laker fan tonight than I'd be as a Bucks fan tonight. And the different – yeah, and uh, th- we've, we've often compared and contrasted the Clippers and Lakers for much of this season. The big, a big different – another big difference between these, those two teams – the Clippers can survive an off night from Paul George or Kawhi Leonard because you got Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell coming off the bench that can reinforce you and buffer you, not to mention other guys. Like, I mean, we've seen Jamichael Green play really well. And also, you know, you got Marcus Morris. That's just that, so, that really, Reggie Jackson. The list goes on and on of guys that we believe in. And also the Lakers. They, I really think they're going to wind up missing Avery Bradley. I really do. That's a, that is going to be a big deal because of how, I don't want to say inept, but how lackluster their backcourt appears to be right now. All right, we'll keep it in the NBA with an awards topic. The awards finalists were announced Saturday, and rather than argue over who will win the award, we'll take another angle on this. We're going to give you a fourth option for the award who we think is deserving of being a finalist in that respective category. We're going to start with MVP, Cody. Who you got as your fourth on that one? 
Yeah, so this one's probably the hardest because this is like the most clear cut of them, I think, you know, with the, these three guys kind of leading the pack. But I, I'm going to go with CP3, man. I mean, this guy got dumped halfway through a trade, which is what it felt like, at a gas station in Oklahoma and with a team that no one thought would even come close to contending. And this dude could have phoned it in sort of the end of his career. He could have been a complete diva and just demanded a trade. But he's posting close to career numbers and efficiency. He's led Oklahoma not just to the playoffs, but they are a higher tier. They're not one of these – one of these scrumming around for the eighth seed teams. I mean, they've been a they've been a higher tier competitor, and that's worthy of praise to me. So I'm going with CP3 for that award. What do you think? Yeah, I, CP3. If you're going to argue for CP3, I should be arguing for Jimmy Butler right now. I think he's had the same effect on the Miami Heat. But I'm going to go. I, I think Luka Doncic, uh, by and large, stands head and shoulders above those guys. And obviously, CP3 and Jimmy Butler, um, their teams have performed better. But we got to remember, at the beginning of the season, I didn't expect all that much of the Mavericks. I expect them to be improved, but I thought it would be next year where we would see a significant jump from them. Luka Doncic this season has been – he's pretty close to having a 30-10-10 and 10 type season. He's a little bit short in everything. He's about 29 points, nine boards, nine assists in that neighborhood. But think about how close he is to that. And think, and he's only going to get better. This, is, this guy's in his second year at 21 years of age. And he's got a, He's got the duo working with Porzingis. We've talked about how he has been developing into that uh, that uh, Robin the, to his to Luca's Batman role all season. That's only going to get better as we continue on. And they still, uh, we've kind of written them off as going to be in that seventh seed. They they got a chance to climb up a little bit higher with the way um, Utah has been falling off here recently. So they could be interesting to watch in a first round matchup against Denver. They are fun to watch. I'll tell you that, hundred percent. All right, man, so next up we got a defensive player of the year. Giannis AD and Gobert lead the list, but who do you got for your fourth guy? I'm going to go with Bam Adebayo from the Miami Heat. I'm looking at him and what he's been able to do, and he's one of those guys that he really does it on both ends. Um, he's an all-star this season. Um, he anchors that defense, high energy, high effort, double-double um, type guy, uh, versatile, can defend, um, can switch out on, on guards. Uh, this guy can do it all, and he's had – you talk. Jimmy Butler's led that crew, but Bam's been the second clear um, – the second dude on that team. He's been absolutely unbelievable. I really need to watch more Miami basketball. Every time we talk about him, I'm like, man, I got I to gotta turn them on one night. But, uh, yeah, for me, for defensive play of the year, I'm going to go with Ben Simmons. Uh, he's six foot ten at the guard position, and his, he's got that flexibility. He can defend basically anyone at any point in time. You know, we're talking about switching. and just – it don't matter. Like, he's got it type thing. He leads the league in steals this year, which is pretty commendable in itself. And I would say he's probably still a little bit of a tier behind the, the actual, you know, finalists. But his game defensively has really come around to be kind of the cornerstone of, of what he does because we know he can't shoot three, so you can get some, right? Um, but I, I feel like Ben Simmons at some point in his career is going to win at least one uh, defensive player of the year, and it could very well be, you know, sooner than later. As long as you, yeah, as long as you don't tell me he's offensive player of the year, I'm good with it. Uh, moving on to rookie of the year, um, we got Zion, John Morant, Kendrick Nunn. Who's your fourth on that one? Yeah, I'm going to go with the guy that a lot of people maybe forgot about, but Eric Pascal of the Warriors. You know, this guy was a second-round pick. He got thrown on a suddenly very, very bad Golden State team. I mean, you know, obviously they're, they're, they took pretty much that nosedive after the, after the playoffs uh, with the injuries, but you know, plenty of reasons 
you know, he could have gotten caught up in this one year, you know, doesn't matter sort of mentality. I mean, he could have, we all, we suck anyway, who cares type thing. But this guy, he averaged 14 points, which is fourth among rookies to go with five rebounds and 2.6 assists per game. He's also shot a nice 49.7% from the field and was fifth among win shares of all rookies. So it's pretty, pretty commendable. And if you're looking for a guy outside of the three, he'd be my pick. Yeah, I'm sticking with Miami in this one, along with Kendrick Nunn. They got a couple other rookies down there, including their first-round pick, Tyler Hero, giving you 13 points a game. But fairly fairly good efficiency for a rookie, taking a lot of perimeter shots, 43% from the floor and 39% from three. And he's just capable of going off uh, for big numbers at times with how well he shoots the basketball. I think he's had a big effect um, down there for the Miami Heat, just like those other two rookies. I'll go with Hero on this one, though. Yeah, they had quite the crop. I mean, you could build a championship off that they, that draft Miami had this past year. Let's go ahead and move to sixth man of the year. We got two Clippers on the list and Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell uh, to go along with uh, Dennis Schroeder. So who do you think is yours, the fourth sixth man of the year? Uh, this, this one was a little tough for me, and I almost went with another member of the Miami Heat. So just for the sake of diversity, uh, I'm, I'm throwing the bone to the Orlando Magic. Terrence Ross, congratulations. Didn't Terrence Ross have a 37-point game where he didn't do anything else? Like, which is zeros in every other stat or something? He probably, he probably did. Yeah, it, was, it was a magical stat line. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, just reminding me, you said it. Yeah, my sixth man, I'm going to go with Goran Dragic from the Miami Heat. 16.2 points, 5.1 assists off the bench for the Heat. And he's been instrumental in that second unit. And has built one of the better benches uh, in, the, in the NBA, which really helps Miami a lot. They are sixth in bench scoring for the season. And he used to be a starter. You know, he's embraced this more bench role, coming off the role for the good of the team, and it's really worked out. And it's helped him create a more cohesive unit. And he's one of these more veteran guys that's kind of come into where, hey, I can, uh, I can sort of, you know, float this uh, rookie core of guys and help kind of spin them up as they go. So guys like him are really important. Sometimes they're overlooked as far as that role in the team. Yeah, and moving on to most improved player, we got Luka Doncic, Brandon Ingram, and Bam Adebayo. Who you got on that one? You know, I'm going to go ahead and take a page from Luka's advice here. He pretty much said, nope, take me off this list and put on Devontae Graham for the Hornets. Uh, Graham went from 4.7 points to 18.2, 2.6 assists, 7.5, and, and he shot 28% from three last year, 37% for this year. Uh, he was the best player on a, admittedly, not very good Hornets team, but that's precisely why he was overlooked. And if you're looking at just improvement on the personal level, I think he should definitely be a finalist. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, if you can give me um, – if they can make Luka as a finalist, well, I can make Pascal Siakam as a finalist. This is a guy who has seen career highs in virtually every statistical category, um, 17 points to 23 points. He's up in rebounding. He's up in assists. He's up in blocks. He's up in steals. Um, some of the efficiency numbers have come down just a bit, but that's something that I would expect when you look at a guy um, who has gone from the number two option behind Kawhi Leonard to the number one option. So those type of things are understandable to me. But he's leading that Toronto Raptor team to the second overall seed in the East. And I would go Pascal Siakam there. He's had a meteoric rise from the last couple of years. All right, we're, right, we're finishing up tonight with the coaches. We got Mike Budenholzer, Nick Nurse, and Billy Donovan as the finalists. But who's your number four? My number four comes from Memphis. Uh, and remember, keep in mind, I'm pretty sure all these awards, they don't take into account the bubble action. So don't hold, don't hold this losing streak against my man Taylor Jenkins from Memphis. Remember, Jaron Jackson with the knee injury. Um, this, we all know this bubble format was not in the interest of the Memphis Grizzlies. It was in the interest of the, of the, uh, the Zion Pelicans, the New Orleans Pelicans, <laughs> who have not taken advantage of it. 
They absolutely have not. So uh, nice, nice try, NBA. But yeah, I, I would go Taylor Jenkins. Uh, similar to what um, o- Oklahoma City has done this season, we did not expect much of anything at all from them. Um, they, uh, the, the Thunder exceeded expectations. The Grizzlies have as well. No one expected Memphis to be in that eight seed for so long. They may not wind up holding on to it, but they may. But what a, what a great run and what a great ride! And John Morant, what a season for him. Yeah, they have a young, really good core. It's really interesting to um, to watch going forward next couple of years. Uh, I'm going to go with Nate McMillan from the uh, Indiana Pacers. I think he definitely deserves some love. You know, as since he's been there, you could just pencil these guys in for the playoffs, no matter what kind of squad he's got laying around at that time. Uh, he did lose uh, Victor Oladipo for a significant portion of time this year. He had to great, integrate Malcolm Brogdon to the new system and everything. And now you get these guys playing great ball, especially in the restart. You know, they're definitely a competitive team in the East. They're about, you know, in that five or six spot. I think they're tied right now with my Miami, another team we praised over and over. And uh, I don't think the Pacers get nearly as much love as maybe Miami does as far as your national headlines go. And you got to think some of this TJ Warren sudden explosion has got to be thanks to him. And I know we're not, we're not basing these off the bubble performances, especially alone, but um, that, that's really good. That's a, that's a telltale sign of a good coach to get your team through some adverse periods like this and get them playing this well as he has. I think he definitely deserves uh, some love for coach of the year. All right, so to finish off with rapid reaction, a lot of topics, a little time. Let's go, Jay. Here we go. After several weeks away from his team, power forward Montres Harrell has rejoined the Los Angeles Clippers. Big deal, little deal, no deal. Oh, it's a big deal, man. Six man of the year finalist, huge spark for the Clippers. You know, we've said several times they're not 100% right now, and he is a big reason why. So, yeah, welcome back, Harrell. Let's, let's get it. Uh, Major League Baseball is engaging in preliminary talks centered around a bubble format for the playoffs. Good idea. I think so. And um, give credit to Major League Baseball for, uh, you know, taking what they've had so far with a few of these outbreaks and being open to the idea of changing things up. I think um, probably don't want to do it right now in the middle of the regular season, but to do this in the playoffs and maybe a couple of different cities, I think is a really good idea and they deserve credit um, for adapting to what they've seen so far. The Washington football team has released former 2018 second round pick running back Darius Geis. What'd you make of that move? Yeah, I mean, the reports are pretty awful sounding. Uh, a lot of domestic abuse allegations against his girlfriend and some of the stuff, the details are pretty bad. Um, and if there's even a remote truth to it, which let's be real for a former second round pick like him to get dropped at like a bad habit, there's gotta be a truth to it somewhere. And um, I I think obviously it was absolutely the right call. If there was any kind of truth to it, it really sucks. The guy never got it together on the field or off with the, on the field with injuries or off of it now, apparently. So I guess if it's true, good riddance to him. Orlando magic guard Terrence Ross has returned to the NBA bubble after undergoing offsite medical testing unrelated to COVID-19. Your thoughts. Well, I don't know what the uh, what the testing was in regards to. If there's another medical issue going on, but whatever whatever it is, I hope he's good. Welcome back to the bubble. Um, but you won't be here that long. You're gonna be in for that first round exit. So uh, we'll see you next season. But hey, fourth in the uh, my um, <laughs> six man of the year voting. So mm-hmm. you got that for that's you. Something. That's right. Chiefs wide receiver Sammy Watkins says he was happy to remain in Kansas City for less money and more winning. You agree with that train of thought? I think anyone who plays offense will be elated to remain in Kansas City right now. I mean, I might be able to get 500 yards and five touchdowns with Reed and Mahomes at the helm. But, yeah, good on him. I mean, they're going to need guys like this to keep taking these pay cuts and these, like, little hometown discounts to kind of stay on the roster. And um, they're going to need to keep this up down the road. So, yeah, good stuff. 
New York Mets have announced uh, have another midseason opt out. This time, it's right-handed starter Marcus Stroman. Your reaction? They about to rename the Mets to the New York Cornflakes. I mean, some of this stuff is ridiculous. But at, at, le hey, at least I give Stroman this. At least he didn't pull a Cespedes and just leave him in the middle of a game or whatever he did. So at least he didn't do that. The off-season adventures of Yannick Ngakwe continue as a Jaguars pass rusher fired his agent yesterday. You called to let him know you're available, right? I did not because I'm not sure what he would do to me. I, I don't I don't know, man. Hey, the biggest thing I'll say, uh, David Caldwell had a press conference today, and he did say he was very strange because he was kind of like cautiously optimistic. He had said some things like, yeah, I don't want to put the words in his mouth. We've had some conversations. We've talked. So I don't know if that means there's potential mending on the horizon. Maybe Jan realized that they do want to pay him. We'll find out. Phoenix Suns center DeAndre Ayton was held out of the first quarter of Monday's game against Oklahoma City Thunder due to missing his COVID-19 test on Sunday. Did the punishment fit the crime? No. He should have sat the whole game. I mean, this, is, this is all types of ridiculous. You can't excuse this. The whole point of the bubble is for coronavirus, and you miss a test. You can't do it. No, he should have sat the entire game. Bengals cornerback Trey Wayne suffered a torn pictorial Monday and could be out up to two months. Not a good start for one of Cincy's mega free agent additions, right? No, no, it's definitely not a good deal at all for him. Um, but luckily for him, I would say, you know, there, there is at least a chance the NFL season could always, you know, maybe get pushed back a little bit more. We, we hope not, but it, it, we, nothing is certain anymore in these times. So, you know, with the time, with the timeline, maybe he won't miss too much action. Last one, Pacers and Rockets tomorrow afternoon in the bubble. Who you got? Pacers, TJ Warren magic show continues. All right. Well, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. And I'm Jay Wise. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. We'll see you next time.